0: Good morning. Welcome to Church of Our Savior. Today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, as we announced last week, we'll have what is called an instructed Eucharist. Today, we're, it's, uh, we're going to, rather than having a sermon, we're going to talk through uh, each of the different parts of the sermon and uh, um, parts of the service, excuse me, and talk about why we do what we do. I hope it's really informative and interesting uh, for you. Um, we are this is a Eucharistic service, which means we are going to have uh, the communion towards the uh, end of the service as a sacramental service. Uh, the Eucharistic liturgy uh, has two parts in it. The first part of the service is the Liturgy of the Word. That is the time we gather together, we prepare ourselves to hear God's Word, we hear God's word, we respond to God's Word. We hear God's word explained, and then we, Pray, and, and so uh, that's called the Liturgy of the Word. Then, of course, is the Liturgy of the table, and that's where we receive um, the body and blood of Christ, um, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, and then the dismissal out into the world. Because we always start the service with a hymn, which uh, also is part of our processional, called our processional hymn, I've asked Bob Moore, our music director. Uh, to uh, come up and tell us a little bit about the musical aspect of our worship.
1: Good morning. So would it surprise you to know that you can earn a doctorate in church music? It, it's a fact. And uh, this, this ought to let you know that you're only going to get a briefest of introductions here today from me. So you are welcome for that. I'm uh, going to take a cue from the preachers and give you three points to consider as we enjoy this instructed Eucharist. Number one, St. Augustine, or Augustine, if you're a little fancier, he famously said that to sing is to pray twice. To sing is to pray twice. So we sing during worship because that is how God wants us to worship. We know this, of course, through Scripture. So Psalm 96. Doc, you can probably hit me up on all these before I even say them. Uh, Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Uh, from Matthew's account of the Last Supper, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So that's singing even in the darkest of times. Ephesians 5.19 tells us to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And that's a little King James version for you. So God obviously wants us to sing our praises. In fact, it's almost 1,200 times in the Bible that that's listed, and that's a lot more than a lot of other things we dwell on, I think. So, Number two, our Anglican form of worship, which Father Joel will talk more about, it traces its roots back to the Hebrew temple and has been filtered through the ceremonial practices of the ancient Romans, and, uh, through which, of course, eventually we get to the Roman Catholic Church and what some old... School of Anglicans also call the Mass. Rite one and Rite two, what we do at 1030, were adapted from the Mass. And this is why we retain a bit of Latin and Greek, uh, the Sanctus and the Kyrie, which is Greek, for example. We have this in our prayer book still. In the Mass, certain parts were traditionally sung, and we maintain that historic connect, historical connection with the early church and ultimately with the temple. Number three. Our singing during worship consists of hymns, kind of in the generic sense, old and new, Uh, hymns and songs that cover movement or ritual action. We've already alluded to it. For example, when the altar party comes forward in procession, we sing during a movement. Uh, We sing prayers that were conceived as hymns, for example, the Gloria, uh, that's a little more Latin, and the Sanctus, the Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God Almighty. Uh, We sing scriptural texts. And it's a beloved tradition in the Anglican communi- communi- uh, communion to sing the Psalms. And we probably don't do that often enough here, but that could change. Uh, we also sing hymns when the only reason to sing them is to benefit from what we can learn from the text and the joy uh, we, we have of elevating our prayer to another level, uh, the praying twice that Augustine spoke of. And since I'm not the preacher, I'm going to give you four points. The, the Book of Common Prayer... Uh, the, Red Book, the Red Book of Common Prayers, I always call it, uh, it's a wonderful guidebook for our sung worship, for the music that we enjoy in church. And I love that it doesn't usually command us to do everything in a certain way. More often than not, we are given a choice to sing this, or we can sing that, or we can sing something else, or we can sing nothing at all. So your clergy and I, uh, we make choices which hopefully honor the Lord and honor our tradition and edify us and the people. We may not always sing your favorite hymn, and we may often sing the hymn you can't stand the most, but uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job as a church. Uh, The main reason I think I can say this is because of the thrill that I get every Sunday when uh, your voices literally drown out the organ, and that's, that's quite a blessing to me as a church musician, and that to me is the new song that the psalmist speaks of the renewed song that we sing every time we're here in our presence and in God's presence. Take it.
0: Not for nothing, but for a church our size to have a church musician of Bob's uh, talent and knowledge is pretty remarkable. Clap for that, for sure. So the form of the worship is called the liturgy, and the liturgy is from the word laity, and that means... Uh, liturgy literally means the work of the people. So it's not just our work as ordained people by any means. It is your work. We always have um, uh, non-ordained people doing uh, acolyting and chalicing and and that sort of thing, but it's also your work as the congregation. It's our work together as worship. Um, Just a couple of vocabulary notes here. Um, The first is sometimes we'll talk about the celebrant. This is a celebration. We're talking about what Jesus has done for us, and so we are celebrating. The celebrant is the person who officiates uh, at a Eucharist. Anybody can lead a non-Eucharistic service, like a morning prayer or something like that. But it, um, the church has always sort of set aside ordained persons, uh, bishops and priests, for Eucharistic services. The other, uh, the other vocabulary note is I will often use the word Anglican. Uh, I am not referring to another denomination. When I do that, the word Anglican means English. And, uh, and we're talking about our heritage, which comes from the Church of England uh, f- for the last 500 years. Also, the Anglican denomination shares that heritage. That's why they're called Anglican. But I just want to uh, specify that we're talking about uh, our heritage. So as, Bo- as Bob said, we are uh, going to begin with an opening hymn. So let's stand and sing praise to the Lord. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Well, one non-liturgical note, usually Labor Day is kind of a low Sunday, so we didn't print as many bulletins. So if you have an extra bulletin in your family and you see somebody that doesn't have a bulletin, it might be nice for you to share with them. Now, Just a moment ago, we had the opening acclamation, Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And many of you, but not all of you, crossed yourselves. So, And I did, uh, but I don't always. So what does that mean when we cross ourselves? When are you supposed to do it? Should you do it? Uh, That is a question we get a lot. Well, to cross yourself is just sort of a physical way to pray. Uh, That's all it is. It's just a prayer and there's not really a uh, right way to do it. Should I go right, and should I go left or right, you, you know, start with up, down? It, it, usually people start with their head, but I don't know. The, um, the sign of the cross just indicates that you are receiving a blessing. It is proper that we cross ourselves in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We name the Trinity, or when we are receiving a, um, like the sacrament, or when we um, hear that we ask God to give us His grace or His forgiveness. Do you have to do it? Absolutely not. If it helps you uh, to engage yourself in worship physically, because, you know, we're, we are, as Episcopalians, we stand, we kneel. It's like some people call it calisthenics, sort of liturgical calisthenics. Uh, you, we want you to be engaged, and that's sort of the design of uh, Anglican worship, is you be engaged physically in worship. You're not just sitting here watching us do it up on the stage or something. So um, if it helps you to worship God, to orient yourself towards God, then that's a wonderful thing to do. If you get real proud of yourself and think I'm holier than that guy over there because I'm doing it the right way, don't do it, right? <laughs> that's not a, it's not good. Uh, you'll see some people genuflect you know, they'll come in uh, and they'll knee, sort of kneel down before they go into their pew or when they come out of their pew. That's brought over probably uh, from the Roman tradition. Uh, and that's fine. You don't have to do that. But if you do it, it's fine. If it helps you um, worship, then please do it. If it uh, makes you proud of yourself, then give it a break. So, um, <laughs> But it is um, it is not required. Uh, it is not required that you uh, bow when a cross goes by. That's a piece of metal and a piece of wood. It is, there's nothing particularly special about it, except that it points us to Jesus. And if that helps you uh, to worship Jesus, then you should do that. And if it doesn't, then you should not. Well, we, uh, so we've had this opening acclamation, and now we'll have what's called, not a collect, but the collect. It is spelled the same way. And actually what a collect does is it collects. So it, um, but, you know, Anglicans, Episcopalians, we have to have a pretentious word for just about everything. So, um, so the uh, collect is a short formulaic prayer that is typical of Anglican worship. And the purpose of a collect is to collect oneself as we begin worship, or to collect the prayers in the hearts of the people uh, into one prayer. So the, we begin with the Collect for Purity, always a distinctive part of Anglican or Episcopal worship since the 1500s, when Archbishop Thomas Cramer wrote the first book of common prayer. But this is actually a much more ancient prayer than that, uh, over a thousand years old. So, let's, uh, so the celebrant begins. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now we'll have what's called the Gloria. Remember in the, uh, when the shepherds heard the proclamation of the uh, angels, uh, what the angels when Jesus was born, what the angels sang was, Gloria. Uh, in Excelsis, glory to God in the highest. And so uh, we are preparing ourselves to worship and to hear God's word, and so we sing Gloria. Mm-hmm. pray. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of Your name. Increase in us true religion. Nourish us with all goodness. And bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as the collect, uh, we just said the collect collects the uh, hearts and the thoughts of the people, I want you to notice if it doesn't also collect the theme of the scriptures as we read. Now, something that is a, not an Anglican tradition particularly, but a local tradition that we like to do is we like to bless the children before they leave and go uh, to the children's chapel, which is called Kids Word. So let's children, kids, stand up and receive a blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you for the children that you have given to us. We pray that as they go, that they would worship you in heart, mind, and strength. We pray that this will be a marker and a movement in their faith journey towards a life lived in your love. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
2: The
3: Bible tells me so. Before Doc reads our scriptures for us this morning, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why we do this. The Episcopal Church uses a three-year cycle called the Revised Common Lectionary, also shared by other many denominations. The lectionary goes every three years, and if you have sat in church every Sunday, you have had most, not all, but most of the Bible read to you in every three-year cycle. Usually, in the rubrics, it says you can read up to four readings, but you will notice we read three on every, every given Sunday. The four you you have the option to read from is one is an Old Testament reading from the Hebrew Scriptures, except in Easter, and this is when the reading is from Acts of the Apostles. Or in place of it, as we do, you can have a New Testament reading, also known as an epistle. It's a letter by Paul and others that we know as our New Testament reading. Now, why do we use three other than four if we have the option to use four. Well, One of those, as we do the work of preachers and getting ready for what we're going to preach to you on, on a, every given Sunday basis, we want to make sure we either really dig into one of the scriptures that, that are read or tie them all together. And we find that easier if we choose a Old Testament or a New Testament and then pair it with the psalm and the gospel reading. That's why we like to choose three. And second if you are a newcomer, we want you to come back. We, we want to we try to keep the service as much as possible to an hour, maybe a little more, and that you just experience the word in new and powerful ways. The song, which you will hear Doc read this morning as well, it's typically done in call and response fashion. And this is, we're not just hoping you're not bored. We actually, it is designed to be a response to the first reading. In our case, either Old Testament or New Testament, but you participate in that as well. The work of the people, laity, in response to the first reading. And then we have what is the gospel. And you see, we usually have music or a hymn which we process the gospel out into the people, and we use this very pretty decorated golden book. Now, it is naturally for you to think, maybe I can take a little nap for the first two readings because that's the really important one. But all three of the readings that we do, and if we ever do a fourth, it is the entire gospel message throughout the the ages redemption history is what we call it, and all of them are important. So it's important to note that every reading is important, and and then Joe will talk about what that is done uh, as we preach it. But a few other things before, as the gospel comes down, you may see People do a cross over their head, their lips, and their heart. This is another form of a silent prayer. And if it deepens your worship, go for it. But it is not mandatory by any means. And the silent prayer is this. May the gospel be present on my mind on my lips, and on my heart. If you ever see someone doing that as the gospel's processing, or they may bow, it is just showing reverence to the story of Jesus, why he walked on this earth and then as he died for our sins. Take it away,
4: Doc. Thank you. Thank you, Trent. I came up a little early. Yeah, it's Customary, right? Good to see you. I will read from the epistle to the Hebrews, which is mandatory. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word of the Lord.
3: Thanks be to God.
4: The Psalms will be read with you responding in half. Hallelujah, happy are they who fear the Lord.
3: They they delight in his commandments.
4: Their descendants will be mighty in the land.
3: The generation of the upright will be blessed.
4: Wealth and riches will be in their house.
3: And their righteous will last forever.
4: Light shines in the darkness for the upright.
3: The righteous are merciful and full of compassion.
4: It is good for them to be generous in lending.
3: And to manage their affairs with justice.
4: For they will never be shaken.
3: The righteous will be kept in everlasting remembrance.
4: They will not be afraid of any evil rumors.
3: Their heart is right. They put their trust in the Lord.
4: Their heart is established and will not shrink.
3: Till they see their desire upon their enemies.
4: They have given freely to the poor.
3: And their righteousness stands forever. They will hold up their head with honor.
4: The wicked will see it and be angry. They will gnash nice their teeth and pine away.
3: The desires of the wicked will perish. Of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord on one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to heat, eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So when we hear the Word of God, it is uh, proper to then have a, an explication, an explanation of the Word of God, uh, the homily or the sermon, and to begin that with uh, a prayer or some invocation of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. Now, I want to just begin by uh, talking about the sermon, by actually talking about the architecture of the church. One of the things that I really, really love about the Anglican tradition is the balance of word and sacrament. Some denominations or branches of Christianity really highly emphasize the sacrament. You might have this giant, ornate, sometimes marble, uh, altar in a tiny little, you know, just all, uh, um, pulpit or um, you know, just music stand or something off to the side. Um, some really, really emphasize the preaching of the word. You know, this giant, sort of massive pulpit and this tiny little table right down, you know, where we might have the Eucharist every now and then. But and and so I don't know what tradition you've come out of. I grew up Episcopalian, but I really came to faith through a word-centered. Uh, Non Episcopal tradition. And it is the balance of word and sacrament that our tradition really requires and demands that brings me back. And I love it. Uh, And that reflection or that tradition of balance of word and sacrament is is represented brilliantly here in our architecture. You see that we have the word given on both sides, and it's really on the same level uh, as the altar. The um, the altar is central, what God has done for us, but it's on the same level with uh, with the word, with the lectionary, uh, the lectern, and the, with the pulpit. Uh, some of you, if you're new, fairly new to our church, you may not know that the architect for this church, which has been here for fifty years or a little more, is sitting right over here. Mr. Lamar Drake, he's our architect, right over here. He. Uh, he designed the church in utero. It's the first time that's ever uh, happened before. It was really amazing. But, um, but the, so the, the pulpit, and the reason I really like to, some, you know, some folks will preach from the floor, but I really like to use the pulpit, not just so I can see my notes better, but because it elevates the word. And I, I really like that, but it is also always on the same plane as the sacrament. You might go to some Episcopal churches, and they come out of a really a strong Reformation background, and, uh, and you might have the pulpit way up high, or you might have, so that's in reaction to, built probably in, in reaction to the Roman uh, church, or you might have some Episcopal churches built in reaction to that reaction, uh, with a really ornate, but I love our architecture. Well done, Lamar. Good job. Um, it is always, like I said, I mean, from even way before the time of Christ, a tradition in the Jewish church, Jewish synagogues, that they would explain. They would take a portion of Scripture, and the rabbis would explain those things to them. And so when the apostles sat down with their new disciples after Jesus, they would take the teachings of Jesus and explain them. They would say, here's what Jesus said, now here's what that means. So it's always been a tradition in the church, the Christian church, to follow that legacy and to explain the scriptures. It's hard work. It's, uh, we work really hard. They teach us in, in seminary to, um, to, for every minute that you're going to preach, you should prepare for one hour. Now, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes uh, we're, we're not. I, I, what I have found is it takes every minute that you have. Uh, there's often times where I'm up late on Saturday night or up early on Sunday morning just tweaking re- Revising, I'm even in the pulpit uh, before the eight o'clock service, making notes. Uh, it takes as long as you have. It's hard work, and the goal is to explain the scriptures, uh, but particularly to use the scriptures to proclaim the gospel message. You might notice that I don't do a lot uh, of I don't do a lot of telling you from the pulpit what you should do. Here's how you're supposed to live. I don't take political stances. I don't do. Uh, I don't do a lot of that from the pulpit. From the pulpit, uh, the purpose of the pulpit in my mind uh, is to proclaim the gospel. That's why we talk a lot about sin and salvation, death and resurrection uh, week after week and, um, because that is the message not just for new believers but for all believers uh, week in and week out. Uh, it is in my conviction that Sunday school, Bible study, that is, the, that is the time where we really talk about how that faith is lived out. But the gospel uh is to be proclaimed from the pulpit and so uh we do that we work hard on that every week i will tell you that it it is hard work and when i don't have as much time to prepare my sermons can run a little long it's easier to prepare a long sermon because you just throw everything in Uh, if you notice that if i go if i go a little long you can pray for me because that next week won't be quite so busy but um uh but seven about 17 minutes is is my goal um right after the sermon, comes the Nicene Creed. And uh, Father Trent is going to tell you why that is.
3: You might actually find it comical why that is, but informative as well. Immediately, as Joe said, after he or I preach, we say the Nicene Creed, which is a summary of faith. This creed began its Formation in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and was finalized and ratified at the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD. And it was developed in response to various heresies that were circulating among Christian churches and causing a lot of confusion. Now, if you have seen The Da Vinci Code, although a very entertaining movie and book series, um, it does not give an accurate recount of what actually happened at the Council of Nicaea. It is often said that the creed is a counterbalance or corrective to the sermon. Now, if Joe and I or anyone else that stood in that pulpit preach something, and you knew right away because you've been studying your Bible, that does not sound right. That is heresy or trying to lead us down a right path. That is why the Nicene Creed comes right after the sermon. To correct, like if if the (laughs) preacher's just been a little crazy that day, we're going to come right back to the important foundations of the church. Creed, the word creed comes from the Latin credo which means I believe. And the Nicene Creed is a 4th century summary of the Christian faith, and it is distinctively and intentionally Trinitarian by these points. Christian worship affirms that there is, there is one creator God, entirely distinct from creation, yet completely present within, who loves all people and creation. Point two, Christian worship affirms that Jesus is the unique Perfect incarnation of God's true nature and that his actions in history redeem and transform us. And finally, Christian worship affirms that God is at work in the world and believes believers through the Holy Spirit. You may notice as we are about to recite the Nicene Creed together that there is a part that comes every Sunday. You may, it may just go by or you may have actually given it thought. We are part of the Apostolic and Small C Catholic Church. Just last week we had a couple funerals and I had a guy at one of the receptions afterward pull me aside and say, I thought we were at the Episcopal Church. Why are we talking about the Catholic Church in the creed? Wanted to tell you, if you've never thought about that, Little C Catholic, as we're saying it, actually it translates to universal. Big C Catholic would be the Roman Catholic Church in which we broke off and came, came out of and still give a lot to the heritage um, and a lot of the good things from that. But Little C means universal. And the Episcopal and Anglican Church has always confessed and we believe that we are part of the universal church. So just an extra, as when we get there, you know what we are talking about. Please stand, and let us recite this ancient and ever, everyday and ever-living creed together.
0: Tradition.
3: We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And as we are preparing for the prayers of the people, I want to talk a little bit about what they are meant to represent. It is the hopes of the congregation's prayer intentions for the local community and the world. God is the source and goal of all prayer. The power of prayer is not in the words or the emotions that come up with them, but in a heart surrendered to God. The prayer life of every individual impacts the spiritual life of the whole church Prayers of the people express common concerns. In Rite 2, for this service, the prayers of the people are arranged into six different forms, and we will be using Form 3 today. The prayers of the people normally end with a collect, uh, collecting all the prayers together, as we've talked about before. It is easy to simply recite these prayers rather than to pray them. This is the downfall sometimes of liturgy, as wonderful as our liturgy can be. Prayers can become rote and therefore meaningless sometimes. It takes intention and discipline to pray the things we say rather than just to read and recite them. Let's make a point of orienting ourselves towards God in prayer.
5: You'll find the prayers of the people in the bulletin. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church.
0: That we all may be one.
5: Grant that every member of the Church may truly and humbly serve you.
0: That your name may be glorified, be glorified by, all by all people.
5: We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons.
3: Amen. they may be faithful ministers your of your word, word and sacraments.
5: We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world.
0: And there may be justice, justice and, peace and peace on the earth.
5: earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That
0: our works, works may find favor in your sight.
5: Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble, especially those on our parish prayer list. And they, and they may be delivered, delivered
3: from, from their distress. distress.
5: Give to the departed eternal rest.
3: Let light perpetual shine upon them.
5: We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we, we also, also
3: come to share, share in your heavenly kingdom. Lord, we lift up those that have been in the path of Hurricane Dorian and those that will be. And we pray that you be with all of us as we anticipate. Let us look to you, our rock and refuge, and send us confidence and hope in your resurrection and the things that we face, all the storms of life. And if it is in need, um, let people respond in your love to the areas that may be affected. And Lord, hear the prayers of your people and what we have asked faithfully. Grant that we may obtain effectually to the glory of your name through Jesus
0: Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor.
3: and walk in your ways to the The glory of your name. Amen.
0: Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Please stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. morning, happy September, and happy Labor Day. Nice to see all of you worshiping here at Church of Our Savior. Let me tell you a little bit about the confession and about the peace and how actually liturgically those things are intended to work together. The Book of Common Prayer asks us to prepare ourselves to receive Holy Communion in three ways. Number one, by examining our lives, to look look at our lives and see if we are following God's ways To repent of our sins, having examined our lives, we see that we, um, where we have fallen short, we repent of our sins, we confess those things to Him, and we receive His forgiveness, and then we are in love and charity with others. That is a very important part of coming to communion, because communion is not just communion with God, but communion with one another uh, as well. So the confession and the peace work together for that end. So traditionally, people um, kneel for the confession. It's a a posture of humility before the Lord. If you can't kneel, it's okay. The Lord understands. If you don't want to kneel, that's on you. Um, um... (laughs) But, you know, as as someone's inner life develops, then we become more and more aware of our sin. Please, Lord Jesus, uh, I hope that I am a much more righteous in my outward expressions than I was when I became a Christian 30 years ago in high school. But I am, if that, even if that's true, I'm much, much more aware of the depth of my sin now than I was then. So uh, we want to confess our sin not as an act of shame, because we are forgiven, but as an act of joy, we are showered with God's forgiveness. It's a reminder when we do stray, and which is pretty much a lot, you know, right? So we we are welcomed back into the loving arms of Jesus because um, because He has done it all for us on the cro- on the cross. Um, we, in a general confession, are confessing our common need for forgiveness, but. Um, there is a, as you know, we leave a dramatic pause after the invitation and before we begin to pray so that we can confess individually uh, as well. That's important. But there should always be a confession before we come and receive the body and blood of Christ. And then after we make our confession, then one of us will stand up and wave our hands in the air and say that you're forgiven. We want to always be clear that we don't forgive you. Like, well, we, I mean, we forgive you if you, but we... We're not the one who's forgiving. It's, we are, have the privilege of proclaiming God's forgiveness to you, but we, that's not in our power uh, necessarily. It is, uh, we're given by the church to proclaim to you what Jesus has done for you is sufficient for you, again this week, just like it was last week. Um, so God is a God of grace. So we call that the absolution. And then we have the peace. And the peace is not just a time for you to greet your neighbor. Although that's typically what happens when we say God's peace or peace be with you. But actually liturgically, it's a time for you to be reconciled with someone that you are at odds with. Because of this communion time. So if you are coming to communion, but you're actually mad at the person down the rail, then that's not a great situation to be in. It, liturgically, it's a time for you to go and shake hands and say God's peace be with you. That's the purpose of the peace. And it's a time to give announcements. Now, that's not actually true, but it would be better if we had the announcements before the service, but then nobody would really, or half the people, wouldn't hear the announcements, right? If we had it asked after the service, you're like, stop talking, we want to go get lunch. So, uh, so we just kind of fit it in right here, but it does kind of break up the, the, um, the liturgy. But when we do announcements, I'll give you a good example. This week, the office will be closed on Monday in observance of Labor Day, and on Tuesday in observance of Hurricane Dorian. Uh, Now, perhaps we'll also be closed on Wednesday, but that does not mean we won't be working. So, if you have email concerns or leave voicemail, we will be happy and eager to respond to those things. Please call us, especially if you get in a situation where you need help. Next week, we will have a ministry fair after the service. Uh, and that is, if you've been wondering how can I get more involved, how can I have a ministry, how can I get involved in a Bible study, what is going on with my Realm account, and what is a Realm account, come to the ministry fair right after. We will have you home in plenty of time to get to watch the Jags game, we promise. Food Truck Friday is back. That'll be September 20th, and we will have bluegrass again, so bring your friends and start spreading the word. 5.30 to 7.30, September 20th, Food Trucks and Bluegrass. Uh, a couple of things, during uh, communion, just a moment, we will have, uh, we'll have communion, and um, if you would like someone to pray for you, there'll be somebody waiting back there to pray uh, for whatever is on your heart, and if you uh, have not been to Curcio, or are curious about what Curcio is, um, Curcio is a, it's like a mountaintop retreat experience, wonderful thing, uh, we'd love to tell you more about that, and you can be in touch with uh, Erna Hassel or Jeff Renault right over here, either one. All right. Those, that's how we do announcements, just uh, when, when that happens, when that happens. Now we'll have the offertory, but the offertory isn't just a time to give money. That's important uh, to know. The offertory, that's sort of symbolized. Now we need money to keep the lights on and, and you know, food on our tables and stuff like that. But it is a symbolic act of your service in response to uh, the Word of God that has been, and the forgiveness of God that's been preached to you. So, liturgically, the offertory is not just time for stewardship, but a time to offer yourself, not just your money, but your whole self uh, to God. So, with that, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God. What's that? Doing?
1: So, the prayer book gives us three options, and it's basically oh, that thing from Ephesians psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, We might throw in a fourth option, which would be something, some instrumental music, which we enjoyed last week, of course, the violin. Uh, In the Anglican tradition, there's a word called anthem that we use quite a bit. We'll have the offertory anthem, which we'll have one next week when the choir's back, so that'll be fun. An anthem is really just just a fancy term for a choral piece, something the choir does on their own as sort of an offering to, to God and to you. Uh, Today, though, we're going to sing a little bit of a song, and I want you to participate in the very end of the refrain. When you hear me sing, Since Christ is Lord of Heaven and Earth, I'm going to ask you to sing, How Can I Keep From Singing? Let's try that. Since Christ is Lord of Heaven and Earth together, How Can I Keep From Singing? And if you know any of this song, please don't don't hesitate to sing. My life flows on in endless song Above earth's lamentation I hear the sweet though far off hymn That hails a new creation No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear that music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart a fountain ever springing. All things are mine since I am His. How can I keep from singing? No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging, since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. How can I keep from singing? And the prayer book asks us to sing a hymn or some kind of acclamation as the offering is presented. And that we do every week here. We call that the doxology. Praise God from whom
2: all <laughs>
3: As you see, what we are doing is typically done by a deacon or by a priest. Joe and I, in our formation to become priests, were always deacons, and we always will be. And then one day you may see Beth uh, up here doing the same thing and preparing the table. But one of the important things which comes out of the Gospel of John, as you see the water mixed with the wine, it is symbolic of the blood of Christ as he is being removed from the cross, being as he is pierced, and the water is coming, those things coming together or in the Eastern tradition of the Holy Spirit coming together with the people. That is what the preparation of the table is all about, and preparing us finally to receive the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ. And also, you saw Joe get his hand washed in an act called the lavabo, and that, is, that comes from the Psalms, and it is a prayer of just purification, that we aren't perfect either, being priests, and that we all get to participate in the sacrament. And it is the washing of, the symbolic washing of our hands and hearts to be able to preside
0: over this feast. So, what exactly is going on here? This is a sacrament. And you may remember from your confirmation class that a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. The outward and visible signs in the sacrament of Holy Communion are uh, bread and wine, and also the people coming forward to receive in faith. But the spiritual uh, grace that it communicates, obviously, is the, the body and the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice given to us. But what's happening up here? There are, uh, if you come from a Roman Catholic position uh, or tradition, then you have been taught about transubstantiation, that the Holy Spirit comes upon the elements and it becomes the body and blood of Christ. If you come from a non-liturgical, maybe a Baptist or uh, some non-denominational tradition, you've probably been taught that there really nothing happens at all. It's just Jesus told us to do it, and so we do it, uh, but it's just bread and wine. Now, Perhaps not surprisingly, Episcopalians found, found a middle way. So, um, so what we believe is going on in the sacrament itself is that the Holy Spirit is coming upon the elements, in and upon. It's still, if you look at it under a microscope, it's going to be bread and wine, but it is special and sacred now. We've asked the Holy Spirit to be upon it. But if you come and you don't have faith in Christ, and you... You could eat till you had your fill or drink till you got drunk, and it would not be the body and blood of Christ to you. You must come in faith. And so when we say we'll hold up the bread, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for your sins. So we, we say this is the body of Christ. Take it in remembrance. So we hold both. You can hold anywhere along that spectrum and have an acceptable Anglican position as long as you have both faith and the Holy Spirit. You can say, right over here, it's, I really think it's just pretty much the body and blood, but I know I have to have faith. Or you can say, I'm really not sure what happens at all. I'm sure the Holy Spirit's upon it, but the main thing is my faith. Anywhere in there is an acceptable Anglican position. But incidentally, we got a lot of comments on the survey about why do we not have the sanctu spells anymore, and that's why. Because the sanctus bells, when you, when you ring those, that says, here's the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't have any indication of faith. Now, you might say that's splitting hairs, but that's what you pay me for. So, um, <laughs> and, you know, I understand that that's not everybody's favorite, but, uh, but, but that's the reason, because it, it is, um, it is a, a, there must be an element of faith for it to be authentic. Now, we also say that um, we welcome all baptized Christians. Why do you have to be baptized in, t- in order to take Communion, because certainly you can have an authentic Christian faith without having been baptized. You can believe there, but from the history of Christianity, from from the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter encouraged people to get baptized who believed in Jesus. Baptism is the normative public uh, declaration of your faith. You're saying by your baptism, I'm st- I am intentionally stepping in to this Christian family, or I have been brought by my biological family into this. Christian family. And so, um, you know, there are some who think that, that communion ought to be a means of evangelism. We welcome everybody no matter what, because certainly Jesus does. But respectfully, I disagree with that position. Uh, and I understand that this is the, all, as church has always said, this is the believer's meal. And if you believe and you have not been baptized, let's talk about that. Let's, let's get you baptized, and then, and then you can come. A lot of times when we baptize adults, uh, they, that will be their first communion as well. And it's a really wonderful day uh, for them. All right. I think that's. Have I said everything I was supposed to say, Trent? Okay, good. Excuse me. Oh, I did want to say that when. when it, was, it was actually a pretty big deal in the Reformation, back when, when the Church of England was being formed. Is, is it the Roman Catholic view or is it the sort of more Baptist, Memorialist view? And it was Queen Elizabeth who said this, "'Twas the Word that spake it, He took the bread and break it, and what the Word did make it, that I believe, and take it.'" So, that's our position. The Lord be with you.
3: also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift lift them them to the Lord. Let
0: us give thanks to the Lord our God. It It is
3: right to give Him thanks and praise.
0: It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by His glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died. died. Christ Christ is risen. Christ Christ will will come come again. again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Recalling His death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer You these gifts. Sanctify them by Your Holy Spirit, to be for Your people the body and the blood of Your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in Him. Sanctify us also that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament, and serve You in unity, constancy, and peace. And at the last day, bring us with all Your saints into the joy of Your eternal kingdom. All this we ask through Your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in in heaven, heaven, hallowed hallowed be thy thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as
3: it is is in heaven.
0: Give us this day our daily
3: bread, and forgive us our trespasses
6: The body of Christ
0: broken for you because he loves you. Preserve your body, your soul to everlasting life. Come on. The body of Christ broken for you because he loves you. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you because he loves you. when so We have leftover communion. We place it uh, in the tabernacle. We call that the reserved sacrament. And any time, which is most of the time, that you see this light on right here, it means that there is reserved sacrament, uh, consecrated elements, in uh, the, what we call the tabernacle, or sometimes it's called the ombre, uh, and that's right here. We also never want to forget those who can't make it to church, and so we often will bring uh, folks forward. To, um, to receive the sacrament uh, from us, to, and they will take them. We actually add their numbers uh, to the worship service. So Christine is going to come forward. That's, when you see someone come like this, that's what we're doing, is we're asking them to take this out uh, to those who can't be with us. Christine, in the name of God and of this congregation, I send you forth bearing these holy gifts that those to whom you go may share with us in the communion of Christ's body and blood, Amen. And it is typical that we will respond to the gift of God's grace and His thank uh, in the Eucharist that He has given to us with a prayer. So let us pray. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with you and remain with you always.
6: Amen.
4: Amen. <laughs>
0: send you forth with a dismissal to remind you that you have not just checked off the box and you're good until next Sunday morning, (laughs) but you have gotten your fuel to go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia.